You're listening to Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary. Chris walked slowly, reckoning he could navigate the narrow streets and alleyways that led to his studio with his eyes closed, if only he tried. His camera bag dug heavily into his shoulder, and the biting wind nipped at his cracked hands. And though he didn't relish another evening spent with them immersed in chemicals, delicately coaxing his precious cargo into life, before his busy mind had caught up with him, his bags had already been dropped to his ankles. His hands were twisting the lens into focus, until the image of a bare tree in silhouette, branches clawing at the smoky red evening sky, tearing off strips of silken clouds, filled the frame. Click went the shutter. Cursing himself under his breath as he packed everything away once more, the cold having permeated under his skin now, Chris gathered his bags and set off at a jog. He arrived at the rusting steel door of his studio breathless, simultaneously cold and sweating. He turned the key in the deadbolt lock, which yielded with a thud inside the door, like a safe, he thought, and pushed it open with his shoulder, the steel grinding on the concrete floor. He flicked on the light switch, and a single bulb spluttered into life, barely illuminating the cavernous space inside. Negatives were strung between the walls like fairy lights, which Chris had to duck under to get to his workspace. It looked like an apothecary, the desk littered with glass bottles, Dishes of powder, brushes, tongs. But despite its haphazard appearance, Chris treated his rolls of film as though they were made of spun gold. He would spend hours in the cave, as he called it, measuring out chemicals, unfurling spool after spool of film, tiny figures in ghostly white staring out of them, with Chris presiding over his subjects like a god, giving them the light of eternal life or condemning them to a dark and lonely hell. He spent each day balancing with one foot in reality and the other in the worlds he created inside that dark little room. Tonight was no different. He had promised Julian that he would be home at a reasonable hour. He was just going to develop the negatives from the day's work and head back. But here he was again, examining each role like an X-ray, selecting which of his miniature subjects he would make immortal. This one, he said, and carefully slid the negative into the enlarger and reached for his collection of potions. As the image faded into life, Chris spat an obscenity as he discovered what he thought was a smudge on the photograph. But the longer he looked at it, he began to think that it wasn't a smudge. It looked like something in the scene. A figure. A woman. She looked as thin as parchment, with pale, wispy hair. She was almost translucent. But it couldn't be a woman. There was nobody there when Chris took the picture. He was sure of it. It had to be an imperfection. He inspected the negative, but could find no trace of anything on its surface. No dust, no smears, no fingerprints. It was pristine. But when he projected the image onto the baseboard, there she was, 
on the far left side, as though looking into the scene from a distance. Chris started to panic. Was he getting a migraine? Was he hallucinating? He fumbled for the test strips, and there she was again. Chris wasn't a superstitious man. As a chemist, he had always put his faith in science. But as an artist, a part of him wanted to believe in the mysticism. No, it had to be a bad batch of film. He scoured the other negatives from his shoot, developing photograph after photograph, paying little care or attention to the degrading quality of each print. And there she was, like a shadow, in every single image. He pressed the heels of his hands onto his eyes until he saw patterns swirling in monochrome and it began to ache. But the woman was still there when he returned to the prince. Convinced he was losing his eyesight, or his mind, Chris stuffed a handful of the prints into his bag and set off for the door. He had to show them to someone, to be sure he wasn't going mad. He hammered at the door of Julian's house, completely ignorant of the fact that it was past two in the morning. A dim amber glow emanated from the edges of the door, and Chris heard his sleepy footsteps thud down the stairs. Julian glared at him as he opened the door sarcastically slowly. Even through his sleepy days, he could see he was furious, but Chris was too absorbed in his own fervour to consider that maybe going to Julian's wasn't the best idea. He set off like a clockwork toy, regurgitating the events in the darkroom at breakneck speed, as Julian tried and failed to follow his frenzied train of thought. Chris followed him into the kitchen, still talking at an alarming pace, while he filled the kettle, put it on to boil, and dropped two spoonfuls of chamomile tea into a pot. Julian plopped an amber glob of honey into his own cup and sighed heavily. Slow down, he said. You're not making any sense. Chris felt a twinge of irritation as he relayed an abridged version of the story, slower this time, as Julian seemed preoccupied by the tea. And you're absolutely sure it's not just an imperfection on the negative. At this, Chris flung open his bag and upturned its contents from a height onto the kitchen counter, scattering prints all over the place like a flurry of snow before dropping his bag onto the floor and lowering himself to sit on the step between the lounge and the kitchen with a thud. Julian picked through the prints, squinting at each one. I need my glasses, he said, slinking past Chris who was still sat in the doorway to retrieve them. He squinted at the prints again, now with his glasses on, but his expression was even more confused than before. Tell me you see her. Darling, I don't know what I'm supposed to be looking at. I can't see a woman in this, in any of them. Julian picked up one of the mugs and offered it to Chris. He should have known Julian wouldn't get it. He never could understand why Chris needed to take so many photographs of things. Why he needed to document even the most mundane moments in their life. Or why he was so ready to drop everything in pursuit of his art. Of course Julian couldn't see it. But Chris had always known that his camera would be his legacy. And now he realised he should have known to keep his discovery a secret. Come on, have some tea, Julian said tenderly. Chris bent over, rested his forehead on his knees and exhaled forcefully. He was exhausted. He waved the cup away and scooped up the prints from the floor, sliding them back into his bag. 
Julian looked at him with a mixture of concern and frustration, but Chris refused to meet his gaze. I should go. He turned his back on his partner and stepped back out into the cold. The sky was ink-dark and there was barely a star on show. Chris's breath formed clouds in front of him as he thundered through the streets, back towards the comforting solitude of his own bed. A sharp knocking shocked Chris awake, dissolving his mystery woman like steam as he opened his eyes to see daylight. That knocking again. He buried his face into the pillow and willed it to stop. His body relaxed as silence enveloped the room once again. Chris's flat was sparse, but it filled with the most beautiful bright sunlight at the right time of the morning. The bare floorboards were a patchwork of spilled paint and stains. A handful of browning roses sat languishing in a glass bottle on his bedside table, and the antique mirror he'd acquired from a charity shop leaned lazily against the opposite wall, reflecting the sunlight from the window back at him with a sheen of iridescence and black speckles. The bag of photographs was laid in the middle of the bedroom floor, the now dog-eared corners of the prints poking out from every gap. He emptied them out, methodically laying each one side by side until they covered nearly every inch of the room. When he peeled himself away from his project and wandered into the kitchen, still in his pyjamas, he saw a note scrawled on the back of an envelope poking underneath his front door. Chris, came by on my way to work this morning to check you were okay. You weren't right at all last night. I'm worried about you. Call me later. Jules. He wouldn't call Julian. The rest of the morning was as hazy as the photographs, time moving in a blur until he was struck by the most unsettling sense of deja vu. He had seen something just like this before. It was a photograph of a small girl on a wooden swing, suspended by ropes from a sycamore tree. It was a superb photograph, capturing not just a snapshot of a scene, but the dynamism of the moment. How the wind rushed through the girl's hair as she was propelled forwards by the motion. And there, on the very far left, a wispy, translucent figure, looking at the scene from afar. Then Chris remembered that it was taken by a local photographer. He'd met him while he was studying and was captivated by his work. The photographer had been impressed with Chris and offered him some work experience, but he never did take up the offer. He remembered he had an unusual name. It began with K. Kam... Kaminsky. That was it. Despite his reputation, Kaminsky had disgraced himself when he claimed that he'd photographed a ghost. He'd published the image, claiming it was the first genuine picture of a presence from beyond the grave. At first, people thought it was a prank. Then the local newspaper printed his photograph, alongside a humiliating story proclaiming the whole thing as a hoax. His peers wrote him off as a fraud. Galleries refused to accept his work. But Kaminsky remained convinced that what he'd captured really was a ghost. After that, nobody wanted his services anymore. His work dried up, and he faded into obscurity. Chris set out to find him, positive that the old man would have the answers he needed. But his faith dwindled when he tracked Mr Kaminsky down to a nursing home for people with mental illnesses. The receptionist said that visitors were most welcome, 
but she wasn't sure whether Mr. Kaminsky would be much company. They were right. The old man had utterly lost it. He raved incoherently, had conversations with the empty air, then fell into a silence so deep that Chris thought for a few moments that he had died. He began to think this visit was futile. A nurse poked her head into the room. Betsy said you were looking for his pictures, she said. They're all in there, and gestured towards a grubby-looking green tin underneath Mr. Kaminsky's bed. Handle them with care. Some of them are older than he is. Chris prized open the tin with a creak. There were dozens of photographs. Decaying, grainy images. Some so old, there was no way Mr. Kaminsky could have taken them himself. But always with that unmistakable, wispy shadow woman on the left-hand side. When he looked up from the photographs, Mr. Kaminsky was staring at Chris. Although he wasn't really staring at Chris, he was staring straight through him, his pupils as sharp as a pin. Chris glanced over his shoulder, but the doorway was empty. Before he could convince himself not to, Chris pulled his camera from his bag and took a shaky photograph of Mr. Kaminsky. When he took his eye from the viewfinder, the old man was mumbling to his slippers as though he didn't even know Chris was there. Spooked, Chris stuffed his camera and the tin into his bag and left, speeding down the corridor but repeatedly turning to look behind him, back into Mr. Kaminsky's room. He almost collided with the nurse. How did you find him today? She asked in a soothing voice. He was fine, Chris clipped back, his eyes still over his shoulder, looking back at the room. Did you find the picture you were looking for? She asked hopefully. Yes, yes I think so, Chris replied. You know, he used to show me those pictures all the time, said there was a woman in them, that she'd chosen him and he had to find her. I always assumed he was talking about an old flame, but I tell you, I could never see any woman in those pictures, not one of them. At this, Chris's pupils dilated, and he stared over the nurse's shoulder for a moment longer than was comfortable. Everything all right? she asked, putting her face back into Chris's eyeline. Yeah, everything's fine. I have to go. Chris had all but sprinted out of the nursing home when he heard a shrill voice call out from behind him. Nurse! Nurse, come quick! He didn't stop for long enough to find out what had happened. He ran until he was red in the face and collapsed at the ramshackle bus stop at the edge of the village. He was confused. On the one hand, he felt dejected. He was still no closer to knowing the identity of the woman in the photographs. But now, he knew that he had been chosen. She had come to him, just as she had come to Kaminsky years ago, and whoever took the photographs before him. She had been a mystery for decades, one that Chris vowed he would solve. The sun was hanging low enough in the sky that its light was turning evening gold. So instead of wasting what could be hours waiting for a rural bus service that may never come, he decided to unpack his camera and walk back. Just as he was about to hit the shutter, a police car wailed past him and shot off up the hill, making him jump and spoil his shot. Chris kicked the camera bag at his feet, threw his head back and sighed, then set up the shot a second time. The rest of the walk home was long and satisfying. Chris had filled an entire roll of moody images as the evening sun sank into murky darkness. By the time he got back, 
The sky was black, and a chill had settled over everything. Julian was sat on the floor, his back resting against Chris's front door. His eyes looked sunken, and his skin was dry, which exacerbated the small wrinkles around the corners of his eyes and mouth. He threw his arms out and shrugged, a look of complete exasperation on his face. Chris leaned over Julian, who was scrambling to his feet, and unlocked the front door. He fully intended to close the door behind him, but Julian slammed his hand on it and barged his way inside. His fury dissipated into a complex mixture of repulsion and pity as he saw the carpet of photographs covering Chris's bedroom floor and spilling out into the hallway. "'What is going on?' Julian pleaded. "'The police are looking for you. They say you stole something from an old man in a home. What is happening to you?' Chris knew if he said any more, Julian would try to stop him, and he knew he couldn't be stopped. Julian coaxed, probed, shouted, cried, gave him the silent treatment. Nothing evoked any reaction until Chris turned and saw Julian, face tear-stained, chest heaving, prized the roll of film from the back of his camera, letting the body drop to the floor. The lens shattered in slow motion, shards of it leaping and twisting through the air. Chris lunged at his partner, but before he could reach him, Julian had pulled the film from its canister like a thread. Julian's face fell, and his eyes widened. Get out! Get out! Julian threw himself out of the door, and behind it, Chris howled like a dog that had been kicked. He sifted through the wreckage. His camera was a lost cause, but the roll of film that Julian had tried to destroy wasn't. Chris counted the now-exposed negatives hanging from the canister. There was one left inside. With only the canister and his keys in his pocket, he went out into the night. Chris had half expected Julian to be outside the flat, waiting for an opportunity to explain himself and beg for forgiveness, but there was no trace of him at all. The streets were deserted. He walked purposefully, his eyes focused on nothing but the path ahead of him, as he made his way to the studio. He had to develop that image. Underneath the harsh red glow of the safe light, Mr Kaminsky's unsettling portrait revealed itself. His pin-sharp stare pierced Chris, even through the print, and his hands began to tremble. There she was, the same woman that was in all the other photographs. But this one was different. This time, She was standing directly behind Mr. Kaminsky, and she was staring straight at Chris. He dropped the photograph and lurched backwards, bumping his spine into the table behind him, sending bottles of pungent chemicals crashing down and piles of photographs tumbling to the floor. He tried to breathe, to settle his shattered nerves, but the chemicals made him choke and wheeze. He covered his face with his sleeve and tried to catch his breath, when a shower of fine glass and glowing filament rained down. The light bulb above Chris's head had exploded. The negative strung beneath it ignited almost instantly, dancing and curling in the heat before evaporating, flaming emulsion dripping down, turning the carpet of prints on the floor into a funeral pyre. Chris tried his best to stamp out the flames before desperately kicking off his shoes as the rubber soles began to bubble and warp his stinging lungs now filled with smoke, and his chest heaved as he tried to breathe. Scrambling towards the door, he sank to the floor, 
slumped among a sea of melting negatives, ash and shattered glass. If I die now, he said to the empty room, nobody will know. Nobody would care. Nobody even knows I'm here. The words hung in the thickening air for a poignant moment. This story was written and read by Chloe Gorman, with music by Andrew Bate. Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary is an audiobook series by Moth Sanctuary Productions. You can subscribe to the series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and YouTube. Follow Moth Sanctuary Productions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or for more dark delights, visit mothsanctuaryproductions.com. Moth Sanctuary.